0: Hi everyone, it's Kesonga. Just a reminder that you can listen to all of our podcasts ad-free on the Headspace app.
1: Hi, my name is Ruben. I'm 11 years old and I meditate every day. I started meditating when I was around 9 or 10 and I really like it because it just brings peace and it makes me feel very calm and it just helps in everyday life. I think the best thing of all is that it really helps with my sleep and during lockdown that's been very hard. I'm very happy that Headspace exists. If you'd like to check out some of my favorite sleepcasts, just search for Headspace in the App Store.
2: I think it's the quote from Gone Girl that's like, sleep is like a cat. The more you chase it, the more it runs away from you. It's so true. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was chasing sleep. And in some ways, it's really unsurprising that it kept on eluding me.
1: Maybe you know what it's like to obsess over some problem in your life, something you're sure there's a solution for, if only you can find it. You'll pay the cost for whatever miracle product. For Charlotte G., The problem to solve is insomnia but the solutions aren't clear-cut because her sleep issues seem like part of a package deal part of adulthood of success they started almost like clockwork when she left home for college i pretty much turned 18 and then got insomnia she moved from a small modest village in the english countryside
2: and when i say a small village i mean a village of 300 people where it's extremely quiet, there's lots of farmland. Like, that was a, a very kind of peaceful existence. And then I moved to London, which is obviously a huge global city, is extremely loud, is extremely busy. And so in some ways, it's not that surprising that I pretty much stopped sleeping. There was a period at one point when I was 18 of about two weeks where I literally couldn't remember sleeping in that period. I'm sure I must have done, but it felt like I'd been awake for two weeks. And the main thing I remember is actually the sirens. I I was living near one of the biggest hospitals in London, and there were ambulance sirens all the time. The sirens were the soundtrack
1: to subtler chaos. New people to meet, convoluted paperwork, small errors that could affect the entire course of Charlotte's life or so she felt. She needed her sleep, so she tried her best.
2: I would try to read my textbooks to help me to sleep, (laughs) which, but they didn't. They actually made it much worse because I'd start reading and then I'd start thinking and then that, that would just make the situation much, much worse.
1: So she'd turn on the radio. There's this somewhat anachronistic program that played on the BBC called The Shipping Forecast. It's not some hip late night show, it's an actual forecast meant for sailors.
2: Which, if I remember rightly, is broadcast at quarter to one in the morning. Um, and I think it still is. And then it's followed by the national anthem. I I don't really know why the BBC still does this. It's like a really weird kind of slightly colonial throwback that they, that they still do. But the shipping forecast is really relaxing to listen to. It's kind of just a very lilting sort of calm accents, and you think of the sea, and the sea's relaxing.
1: Sailors probably wouldn't hope to fall asleep listening to the forecast. They have to be alert. But taken out of context, for Charlotte, it was a bit like a lullaby, hearing about all those different parts of the sea with names like... Fisher
2: and Dogger and German Bight and Norfolk Sierra. And then they'll say things like, good, becoming moderate... Or, you know, poor becoming good. And they'll say that. They'll go through each area. Like, this area is going to be like this. And they'll do it for each region. And they'll just go through every single one.
1: Even this soothing accidental lullaby didn't do the trick, though. Charlotte felt her stress ease a bit, but she'd never actually fall asleep. So this continued. These failed attempts at night to sleep, the whirring ambulance sirens, the bustle during the day. And the next thing Charlotte knew, she was starting to imagine things that didn't quite make sense.
2: I thought my computer was being bugged. I became convinced that MI6 were following me, which really annoyed my boyfriend, who is now my husband, because he was like, it, no, MI6 deal with international affairs. It would be MI5 if anyone was following you.
1: Or rather, Charlotte's delusions, as she calls them, almost made sense. At that time, she was being vetted for a government service she'd applied to, a voluntary medical service, Maybe it tracks then that she started seeing patterns at her computer in the outside world, thought she was being
2: followed by real life James Bonds. It's like my brain overheated and then shut down. It it was like, I was really overstimulated. There was way too much going on. And then it just kind of, everything just sort of exploded and, and kind of stopped functioning.
1: There was one night, when her roommates came home pretty late.
2: I think they'd gone clubbing or something like that, and it was three in the morning, and I was listening to Insomnia by Faithless at top volume while cleaning the kitchen and doing like five different things at once. Insomnia, that's pretty... <laughs> I know, which is, which is you know, a great tune, but um, now looking back, it's kind of what they call like the prodromal phase. Of mania, and it has a, like all the hallmarks. And also, obviously, you know, not sleeping, lack of sleep has been used as a torture device around the world by a lot of different groups, and that for a good reason, because it, it really will make you go insane.
1: Charlotte got medical help and a preliminary answer. Clinicians told her if she had one more similar episode then she'd have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. She headed home to stay with her parents for a bit. It was a hard time for all of them.
2: When my dad picked me up from the train station, there was a piece of music playing on the radio. And if he hears that piece of music today, he will instantly start crying.
1: She went back to school. The months passed. Another episode came and went. And with it, a firm diagnosis plus a list of warning signs that might signal another episode.
2: Spending more money than usual, getting irritable, talking too quickly. And then there's the biggest red flag, for Charlotte anyway. My number one biggest warning sign is not sleeping. And I don't mean like having a couple of nights of bad sleep. I mean having several or more nights where I'm sleeping for four hours or less or fewer, I should say. Because it could precipitate a manic episode or because it's indicative of a manic episode? Well, you've actually just asked, this question is really hotly contested within kind of bipolar research because people don't know if you don't sleep, therefore you become more manic or whether the fact that you don't want to sleep is because you are already becoming manic I I think the answer is it's a little bit of both. But yeah, certainly it's something that either way, if I'm consistently, I don't take medication every day, so I really have to, it's like being on a surfboard. I'm kind of constantly just keeping an eye to make sure I don't fall off.
1: Only life doesn't get less stressful with time necessarily. Two summers ago, Charlotte had a new soundtrack to her life. Now it wasn't sirens keeping her up, it was a leak.
2: I could like visualize it sometimes. In fact, particularly when I was trying to go to sleep, like picturing the water like gradually filling up and being like, oh, it's just there and it's getting worse. Charlotte is out of college at this point
1: with a full-time job as a staff writer at the MIT Technology Review. She and her boyfriend participated in a special rent-to-own program in the UK, where you half-own and half-rent your place, a scheme to bring in those who can't otherwise afford home ownership. And then this leak shows up in their kitchen, with a special kind of drama that comes with this sort of scheme.
2: To make it matters worse, our landlord said that it was coming from our flat, despite the fact that we'd had plumbers out and they'd confirmed that there was nothing originating from inside our our building. So that was really stressful. And they'd also communicated this to some of our neighbors, so our neighbors thought that we were, like, willfully lying about a leak coming from our flat. And also, because I knew that we hadn't located the source, I knew that we weren't dealing with it. So
1: she's griping about her sleeplessness with her editor, He's not aware of the leak of Charlotte's college experience. So he suggests something simple enough, something any editor of a tech journal might suggest.
2: It kind of is the obvious solution. And also, like, this was at a point where sleep technology really started to take off as a market um there's a few articles like i think gq magazine did like a big long article on sleep tech um which came out just before this piece and so yeah it felt like there were a lot of startups kind of working in this area it had like a real sense of boom boom time for that market so those things kind of converged together in in kind of um a useful way so yeah
1: The sleep tech industry is expected to touch $17 billion by the end of the decade. It's a big industry. Charlotte was looking at a clean, relevant story. Insomniac tech junkie tries every product on the market. Soon enough, the products start entering her
2: bedroom. Sleep mats came in, rings, and then there was this headband that in theory should have been promising because you know it actually looks at your brain rather than looking at your wrist in reality i like who can sleep with a headband on like i don't know my husband was like you are driving yourself crazy with all this stuff that you're trying out he was like you're making this so much worse like <laughs> you're sleeping you're sleeping even less than you were before
1: charlotte's husband was a witness to this whole comedy Charlotte gave herself a few weeks to test out the gadgets,
2: but he was being tested too, in a way. My husband was like, This is ridiculous. Like, just just take it off. Stop wearing it. So <laughs> what, was, yeah. what was the tipping point? <laughs> I think it was the headband. Oh, actually there was also this um <laughs> there was also this robot that was like Oh, my God, it, it was ridiculous. I mean, this was actually, of all the things I tried, this was the one that actually, like, tipped me over the edge into, like, this is just sheer insanity. It, it was like a giant kidney bean that you could hold against your stomach and, like, breathed with you. <laughs> um it's just, like... I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's sort of doing the function that a human being could do if you... I mean, if you didn't have another human being to hold onto and, like, breathe with and relax you, then... I guess maybe that would be useful. Again, I didn't really have anything against it. It was just so, like, it was just so unequal to the task of making me sleep (laughs) that that it just seemed ludicrous. So, yeah, I was getting ready for bed, like, breathing with the kidney bean, and my other half's just looking at me like, how did we get here? (laughs) I mean, at any point did you have the thought of, like, this is the
1: most natural act, sleep, you know, I... I'm designed to do this and to be bringing all of this. No,
2: yeah. no, I never. No, because that insomniacs don't think that way. You know, you know, like they they don't insomniacs don't trust themselves anymore when it comes to sleep. They don't think that there's anything inevitable or a relaxing. Th- the, the trouble is that you know it's like. Like my psychologist friend uses the phrase, you know, like what, what is it like? What, what fires together, wires together. If you start getting into bed and then not sleeping, and if that's a repetitive pattern, the bed becomes a really stressful place to go. And you get into bed and you think, oh, I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> and of course, then you don't. You know, it's it's frankly, it's like a ludicrous way to think, but it's how. I think it's how insomniacs think. They just don't trust themselves mm-hmm. to sleep.
1: It doesn't sound ludicrous to me. It sounds perfectly rational. You you create yeah. an association and, and then your brain, I mean, that's just where you go, right? Um, yeah. It's a place of stress. It's a place of disappointment, fear maybe if you're worried about an episode. Yeah.
2: Yeah, this is the thing that I get as well because sleep, like
3: there's a lot riding on it sleep is is really conditioned by historical forces just as much as waking life is
1: that's ben Reese. he's shown up in this show before he's a professor of english but he's also a pretty opinionated writer and lots of his opinions have to do with sleep and how it connects to capitalism modernity progress He wrote a book that sharpened my views on all of the above called Wild Nights. In it, he argues that sleep became the hyper-controlled practice we know today right around the time humans got involved in mass production, the industrial age. He identifies a cyclic nature that emerged around then too, between commerce, sleep troubles, and the sleep aid
3: industry. The very things that you need in order to sleep the way you're supposed to be so that you can work, become the things that you work to then afford to get, right?
1: Charlotte's sleep troubles, her health concerns, began when she essentially started her adult life, her life as a productive member of society, no longer a child. Her story might seem lodged inside the shiny new context of the sleep gadget boom, but hers is actually kind of an old tale. It echoes in part that of another troubled sleeper of the West, Henry David Thoreau. He
3: talks about their frenetic lives and how they're rushing to get to the factory floor. They're taking trains that are jolting them across the landscape. They're jacking themselves up on on caffeine. And they're addicting themselves to, to news, sensational news stories. I mean, we think now about, you know what it's like to get status updates in the middle of the night or something. Newspapers played that function for a lot of people in the 19th century. And so his image of ultra-modern 19th century citizens uh, who he was trying to distance himself from, but also to observe, was that they were kind of zombies. I mean, they were in this half-awake, half-sleep state all of the time, and he wanted to wake up.
1: Which meant sleeping.
3: Which meant sleeping, yeah which meant sleeping in a restful way.
1: Few people might associate Thoreau with sleep, but Ben, in his book, makes that association hard to forget. Thoreau was kind of the godfather of all those people who give up society and live off the grid. In the 19th century, he found himself distressed. His health was on a steep decline. His view of modern life dim and he had a sense that he might find an answer to his problems by leaving behind the demands of a newly industrialized society. So Thoreau heads to a place called Walden Pond to try to live in a small cabin and do his best at self-sufficiency. He writes his famous book, Walden. And by Ben's read, one of the most profound changes tracked in the book is a reset of Thoreau's relationship to sleep. Because a big part of what industrialization wrought— had to do with standardization. Factories were everywhere. Humans were suddenly machines. And not only did these machine-like humans have to adhere to strict timelines and demands during the day, they also had to at night. Today, many of us are born into this model as if it's the only way.
3: You have to bend your waking and your sleeping around work rather than the other way around. Nobody slept in the ways that we're told to sleep maybe before roughly 200, 250 years ago, mostly in the West. And now it has become increasingly a global set of norms. You know, sleep eight hours through the night all at once, um, sleep in a kind of soundproof environment. Those have, those are a set of rules that go really well with industrialization, um, with, uh, you know, economies that are powered by factories. And they create a lot of struggle because human humans are diverse sleepers, just as they're diverse in their thinking about religion or their politics or their love life or whatever.
1: There's this circular pattern to all of it. The more you work, the more you need your sleep, but the harder it is to get. And then there's the funny, exaggerated dynamic inside that larger one of the sleep product industry, which can seem both self-defeating and parasitic. Imagine all these people developing sleep aids and losing sleep themselves, all to further the project of progress, which necessitates a constriction of sleep. Sleep gadgetry might seem like a fairly new phenomenon, but it also stretches back centuries in the West. Ben talks in his book about this one Victorian-era belt meant to aid the sleeper that reminded me as I read about it of Charlotte's headband. Who wants to wear a belt to bed? And ultimately, there's a suggestion in all this tech that the body itself, the brain itself, is incapable of meeting its own needs. That suggestion fuels the industry. The less innately capable you feel, the more likely you are to turn to a product, right? So these days, we have this delusion about what we need in order to sleep well, according to Ben, fed to us by the ubiquity of products.
3: This idea that we control our environment during sleep or that we, we put ourselves in an environment that's no environment, right? We have heavy drapes, we have, uh, you know, soundproof rooms, um, we have climate control, all these things, and we customize it to get exactly to the right sensory pitch for all of these things. And that's what we need to sleep. It You know, obviously impossible to think of, of doing that before all of these gadgets were invented, and yet people managed to sleep somehow (laughs) uh, hundreds of years ago. And in fact, you know, in many social systems, sleep was interactive with certain kinds of noises. So like if you're sleeping in, uh, in say, a jungle environment, you're going to start falling asleep when you hear a certain animal begin to make noise that will be kind of the cue to your body that it's time to shut down and at no point during the night is it going to be quiet Um, there's going to be you know breeze maybe blowing in depending on what kind of structure you're you're sleeping in Um, there's going to be sounds uh, and you're going to sleep in different ways in the summer than you are in the winter and your body is going to get used to these changes Uh, And in fact, in order for you to survive, your body is going to have to get used to to changing and reacting to different stimuli, you know, at different different times of night and day. Um, And so the idea that, you know, what we're going to do now is create this environment where we can perfectly control every element of it exactly to our liking. And that's so out of tune with what our bodies are craving. Um, And... Uh, And and yet we have to do them. And I don't have anything against anybody who finds solace through these things or it helps them sleep. I mean, we live in, in many of us, in urbanized, hyper-scheduled and regimented worlds. And we have to react to that environment. Uh, And we react to it often with more technology.
1: Thinking of a human in a jungle, sleeping through breeze, through bird call, I can't help but think of a contrasting image of Charlotte in her bed in London, imagining a leak, a device strapped to her body, wide awake. Coming up, Charlotte ends the fight.
0: Hi, my name is Kaysonga, and I'm a mindfulness and meditation instructor at Headspace. I lead sleepcasts, wind-downs, meditation courses, and much more on the Headspace app. Getting the opportunity to make mindfulness content that speaks to a diverse audience was something I couldn't pass up. I actually used to be an acupuncturist, and then I read a book called Full Catastrophe Living and decided to become a mindfulness instructor. After completing my training, I wanted to bring those skills to my community, So I taught mindfulness on a variety of platforms. I taught at a nonprofit to help support the mental health of young black men dealing with issues like substance abuse and positive HIV status. I'm just so excited to bring what I've learned through all of these experiences to the Headspace community. Mental health should be accessible and a priority for everyone in our society. And no matter who you are or what stage you're at in your mindfulness journey, we have something for you at Headspace. If you're not a member yet, but would like to become one, just search Headspace in the App Store. And if you don't know where to start, I recommend the Basics course in the Headspace app, where I guide you through the basic foundations of mindfulness and meditation.
2: The Ape Man by The Kings. It's about going back to nature and the idea... Do you know what? I'm literally going to find the lyrics for you because they're they're fantastic.
1: Charlotte, she loves music. She and I were talking about this whole dilemma, the tension between that Thoreauian impulse to live off the land versus the one that takes a country girl to the city. And that's how we got started talking about The Kinks, the iconic British band and their song, Ape Man, which is all about a guy in the city who thinks he's pretty sophisticated when in fact he's a wild animal stuck in a cage.
2: Because I'm living my life like a good homo sapiens, but all around me, everybody's multiplying, and they're walking around like flies, man. Still, I'm no better than the animals sitting in the cages in the zoo, man, because compared to the flowers and the birds in the trees, I'm an ape man. And he talks about how he thinks he's educated and civilized, but he doesn't feel safe in the world anymore and he wants to sail away to a distant shore. I'm scared of modern society. I'm scared of nuclear war and I just want to go back, take off my clothes and live in the jungle.
1: Did you ever feel like I just want to go back to the country or back to something else?
2: Um... I mean how far back do you want to go, like inside the womb, I mean like <laughs> you know, yeah, I guess I think part of it is wrestling with becoming an adult um in a weird way and not and having to make choices, having to live. I still remember the first day when I went to primary school, so when I was four years old, I really distinctly remember escaping and running all the way back to my mom's car and being like please don't take me here let me go home and that I think when I was 18 there was a degree of that kind of like let I just want to hug my mom and just be in bed and curled up with her again so yeah I don't know if it's a going back to a particular place or time I think it's more going back to being a child that doesn't have anything to worry about. It's difficult. I I think that no one glamorises the countryside as much as people who grew up in a city who've never lived there do. (laughs) It it feels like I've ended up with this weird, where there's two halves of me and there's the part of me that grew up in the countryside and still wants to go and just like run through the fields and live this very wholesome existence. And then there's the other part of me that's like, no, I want to be surrounded by loads of people. I want to be in London. I want it to be busy. I want to like go out, have a wild, exciting life.
1: By the way, Thoreau, he's not exactly standing on stable ground, either. He's been criticized for being a joyless, moralistic know-it-all, a guy who shunned coffee and, in turn, the ordinary responsibilities necessary for progress. And as Ben documents in his book, he was also of two minds. Thoreau wrote his book Walden, his legendary testament to natural living while kind of on hiatus, a reprieve. After it was done, he returned to the city. Charlotte, her story has a fable quality to it. It feels archetypal to me, ancient. And so it's maybe not surprising that there's an actual fable of sorts that maps closely to what happened to her. Not highfalutin, not written by any literary giant. It's a small story, but it's a fitting one. There's even a leak in it, as I explained to her. There's another kind of framework, which is there's this great little children's story that Erica, um, one of our producers, told me after I kind of went through the beats of your story. The story is about a man who has a leak in his house, an old man, and he can't sleep because he's got this leak. Actually, I'm
4: going to let Erica take this. And he can't sleep um, because the house makes noises. Like, I think the sink drips and the floors creak and the, like, wind blows through the trees. And so, um, so he can't sleep. And he goes to, like, a wise man in the town and he says, I can't sleep. You know, my house makes all these noises. The floors creak and the sink drips and so I don't know what to do. And the man says, well, you should get a chicken. And (laughs) the old farmer says, well, that doesn't make any sense. But he goes and gets a chicken and puts it in his house. And that night, the chicken makes a lot of noise. And so he really can't sleep. Um, And he then goes back to the wise man and says, this chicken made things worse, what do I do? And the man says, well, you should get a cow to cover up the noise of the chicken. And so he's like, okay, and he goes and gets the cow and he goes back and forth and he gets like a dog and a cat and all these different animals. And um, eventually he goes to the wise man and he says, you've made everything so much worse. It's such a racket at night. All the animals are being really loud and I can't sleep. And the wise man says, now get rid of all the animals. And so he opens the door and he lets out all the dogs and cats and chickens and everything. And then that night he lays down to sleep and he hears the sink dripping and the floors creaking and the wind whistling and he says, what a quiet house. And he has a very deep and restful sleep.
2: Yeah, and you know what, I love that. That Yeah, that's brilliant. Because we've all got a leak, <laughs> you know, in our lives. Some of, us, some of us have multiple leaks at different points. Like, so there's always stuff to get stressed about.
1: In Charlotte's story, which isn't a children's fable, but a messy one set in the world of today, the solution that arrived was a bit more relatable. What ended up helping Charlotte was ultimately a sort of gadget, only it was a special one. A hybrid sort that works in a kind of wise man way. The leak was dripping. She'd had to move out temporarily, get the floors replaced. And she was reaching a breaking point with the tech experiment. All those gadgets that were a bit like farm animals coming into her home and just making her sleep worse.
2: Yeah, I kind of slightly reached the end of my tether with it. Um, And then... I can't remember how I, I think I ended up just asking people who know about sleep. So rather than approaching tech people, I, I think I just threw it open to my friends. I was like, who's had like, success with treating insomnia in any form? She
1: kept hearing about an app that was free for Londoners, a therapy app. The whole premise of it tracks along the lines of what she might be prescribed if she walked into
2: a sleep lab. The gold standard I now know for treating insomnia is cognitive behavioral therapy. Basically, it's one of the only things that's really been consistently clinically proven to to tackle insomnia. And yeah, this app basically embeds CBT to treat people who aren't sleeping. It kind of just probed around sleep, asked you different questions around how many hours you thought you were getting but it also asked you kind of like how you were feeling about sleep which was not really something I'd got into up to that point. The overarching message was stop worrying about sleep so much and kind of like just let go of all of that weight that you're putting on it.
1: It does sound a bit like Charlotte had her own wise man in the form of this little app, coaching her on how to retrain her brain to steer away from an all-or-nothing mentality, from a sense of impending doom, to believe in her ability to adjust.
2: Say I wake up at like five in the morning and I might not get back to sleep. I think to myself, you have actually managed on five hours sleep before and you can do it again if you need to. Like, it might not be easy, but it's doable. And then you'll just sleep better the next night. Rather than being like, this is, everything will be ruined now. Because basically, insomniacs catastrophize around what's going to happen because they've not slept very well. And that was the thing. As soon as I let go of the idea that, basically, if I don't sleep, I'm gonna die. Once I kind of let go of that, I just started sleeping. I think I think that I had got I had worked myself into a position where I really didn't trust myself and was almost um fighting with myself over sleep. To be honest with you, that that was probably a general thing, full stop, the kind of like being at conflict with oneself. That was def like that was definitely something that I was lucky enough to have a year of, of um therapy that was that kind of really helped me to be much much nicer to myself which you know was one of the biggest lessons but that also tied into sleep like forgive yourself don't get angry with yourself don't be don't have such an adversarial relationship with it basically and now i just don't sleep just doesn't have as much weight on it as i think it used to but i guess a lot of it is about just kind of trusting yourself i think that 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 really was was what kind of I mean, I hate to say like fighting insomnia, because I'm not saying that I've permanently won, but I definitely feel like I've had the upper hand for the last, <laughs> last few years since. And maybe it's not a fight anymore. It sounds like you've also... Yes, I think that absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like just, again, not having such an adversarial relationship with the whole thing and just being like, hey, we both want the same thing. <laughs> um, it's a truce, yeah. Yeah, and, and, having, and having kind of a truce.
1: Oh, and the leak did get fixed, just as Charlotte filed her story. Next time on Hibernation, how sleep became a science. Hibernation is brought to you by Headspace Studios in partnership with Spoke Media. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review, and follow us in Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show. Our show is written and hosted by me, Malika Rao. We're produced by senior producer James Kim, with help from myself, Erica Huang, Brigham Mosley, Damira Pierre, and research by Hannah Ray Montgomery. Our coordinating producer is Sharita Lynn Solis, with additional production help from Cody Hoffmachel, Kelly Kolf, and Will Short. Original music and sound design by Erica Huang, with engineering by ABF Creative. Additional music from Firstcom. Our spoke executive producers are Keisha T.K. Dutess with Keith Reynolds and Aliyah Tavakolian. Our headspace executive producers are Leah Sutherland With Morgan Seltzer and Sam Rogaway. Special thanks to the folks you heard from today Charlotte G. and Benjamin Reese.